get started, I need a couple people to volunteer. And all I need you to do is tell us what your name is. And if you know it, the meaning of your name or why you were given that name. <laughs> Go for it. My name is T. My parents liked it. And after the fact, they found out it meant poet. Means poet, Teague, and it means poet. Okay, your parents liked it. Anyone else? A couple other people. Uh, my name is Lindsay. It's actually the surname of my my great grandfather and family because they're Scottish. So Alexander Lindsay, last name. They were um, missionaries, and he was a preacher forever until until he was really old. Uh, so I was named after him. Actually. All right, cool. So we have a cool thing to look up. Lindsay, family name, long history there. Like two other people. I want to pick two. First name is uh, Damaris, and the other one is Cherish. My name is Cherish. Um, my parents picked that because when my mom was pregnant with me, it was a somewhat complicated pregnancy. Uh, she was on bed rest with me for seven months. Wow. She had actually lost wow. um, the pregnancy before my um, and so when I was born, parents were talking about that is where that came about. Also, leads to what it means. Wow, cool. Go for it. I mean, you were kind of volunteer to share about your name, so. Yeah. Uh, so my name is actually found in the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 17, verse 34. Um, and uh, it's a woman who is a new convert. Wow. Okay, cool. Thank you guys for sharing. And I honestly keep that going throughout the night. Um, I'm going to keep moving. Um, but we'll kind of come back to the name thing. And that will sort of make sense why I started with that in a little bit. Um, my name is Johanna Ruth Beachy. Um, Johanna, so it's a, like a European female version of what was originally a Hebrew name. Um, which you commonly would hear as John. So it means God is gracious. Um, I think my parents read it in a book and liked it. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason I'm called that. Um, Ruth, they named me that. They gave me that middle name because um, of a lady that they knew and they loved the way that she followed Jesus. So that is just, they were like, this is someone that we would like our kids to be like. Like we want our children to have a relationship with Jesus like that. Um, and Ruth, I just looked this up because I had never checked before. It means compassionate friend. So there you go. Um, I wanted to start out with names, and we'll kind of come back to that theme a little bit, uh, because it sort of ties into what we have been learning about and what we're going to start leaning into this month. Um, so what we've been learning about together is this idea of creative my, my, a, a creative minority. And what we're starting to kind of dig in with that this month is the idea of community. Um, and I want to just kind of like recap what that means, a creative minority. Um, and what we're saying around that is that a creative minority is a Christian community in a web 
of stubbornly committed relationships knotted together in a living network of persons who are devoted to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. So a lot in there, right? So we were taking our time and we're really like leaning in and learning about that. And what we're going to be digging into this month is, is community, um, which you could define a lot of different ways. There's a lot of definitions out there for that word. Um, I don't know if this is like a millennial thing that I do or an American thing or a kid's pastor thing, but I like to make up my own definitions for words and put it into my own words, not like changing the meaning, but just like, here's how I would phrase it. Here's what I would say. So this is like the Johanna Beachy definition of what I would give us to say for community. It's just like a simple way of saying it. I would say that community is the people you know by name that you share life and death. Right, so just kind of that as a starting place. That's what we're talking about with community. And what we get to do is look in Daniel 3 at this example, real-life example, of this small community of people um, and how they lived out what it meant to be in community and some of the ways that they actually practiced that and what it looked like. Um, and then we'll keep going this month as we dive into that. So I do want to take some time before we get into Daniel 3 and just talk a little bit about context and just remind, refresh the context of what's going on, because I am obsessed with the idea of context when we're reading the Bible, right? It matters so much if you understand what is the bigger picture, what is happening here. I feel like it's kind of like if you GPS something and you want to look at like where you're, go where you're going and you zoom out. Does anybody do that? When you're like, you zoom out to see like wh what are the streets around it, what's happening around it. That's like what context looks like. To me, and it matters so much when we're looking at a Bible story, when we're looking at a verse of the Bible to understand what is the bigger context of what's going on. Like it changes the meaning, right? And it helps us understand what's actually being said, which I'll give just a short little like real life example of why context matters so much and how it changes the meaning of you understanding what was just said. Um, part of my story is that I was a kid's pastor for a few years up in New Hampshire, and like my favorite group to learn about the Bible with our preschoolers. Like, absolutely favorite. Like, so much fun discussing and learning and asking questions and diving into stuff with preschoolers. So I ran um, a preschool classroom, like, Thursday, every Thursday night for a few years. I had, like, my regulars in there. I was usually the only adult in the room, but I would have, like, a crew of middle, middle school and high school students who were helping me in that room with our preschoolers. And we had regular preschoolers. Like, they were my buddies, they were my friends. So this one Thursday night, I'm in the room, I'm getting our craft stuff ready. It's like free playtime going on with our kids in there. Like the students are running everything, they're good, they've got it going and I'm getting our craft supplies ready. So I'm focused on that. And one of my uh, preschool friends comes over, Greta, I think she was about four or so at the time. And she comes over and she's like trying to get my attention. So she's like pulling, I'm like pulling on my shirt or something like that. And I'm like busy, I'm trying to get stuff done. I'm not really paying close attention to her. Comes so really like, just a minute Greta, like Duh. And she, I, she like tugs again, and then I just hear this little, like, really high-pitched Greta voice. Miss Johanna, can we read the naked book? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, she has, like, my full attention now, because, like, what did she just say? So I turn to look at her, and she's holding up this, like, children's Bible storybook board book of the story of Adam and Eve. <laughs> and she's holding it up and wanting me to read it to her. And I, like, as soon as I saw that and understood the context of what the heck she was saying, it just all made sense. Like, I'm understanding now 
what you're talking about, but I also want to make sure your parents have context about like what we learned about while we're in class tonight. Like the context of what's being said is really significant and matters and helps us understand what's going on. And I know we've been looking at Daniel. It's been talked about in some of our previous gatherings and celebrations together. It's been talked about in emails. If you've missed any of that, or you're like me and you can use refreshers, just kind of a reminder as we're getting into Daniel chapter three is where we're gonna be, which we heard some of. What's been happening is that that Babylonian empire has come in. They've captured Jerusalem. They've taken, I think there's an estimate of about like 3,000 something people that they've taken captive and brought back to Babylon. So they've taken this group of people, they've brought them back to Babylon. And as a part of that group of people, there were specifically young men that they selected who would have been like in their early teens, like probably 13, 14, 15, somewhere around there that they selected to like particularly be like really assimilated into Babylonian culture, to like learn the language, get trained in the ways of the court, become like like of service to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were given Babylonian names. So Daniel, who the book is named after, was one of those guys. And there's three others that were named specifically in the book of Daniel who were part of that group. And they're Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, as we look in the context, and we're going to be hearing um, more about like what happened in their story when we read Daniel 3, I just want to share about their names for a minute because this is where this is why i started with names like i was really really struck by their hebrew names because as you read in this chapter and i'm not going to read like the entire chapter right here um because there's a lot that happens in it and it but it's a great read i would definitely check it out and actually there's a really good video that you could watch that would tell you all about it it's called rack shack and benny <laughs> okay. I feel like the millennials who grew up in church like absolutely understand what I'm talking about. It's the VeggieTales movie. It's like my favorite VeggieTales movie. But it's the whole story of Daniel chapter 3. So you should definitely check that one out. Rack, Shack, and Benny. Um, but as you read this story in chapter 3, you're going to hear them referred to by their Babylonian names. So that was um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they had Hebrew names that they were given. They would have been given at birth, that their families would have known them by. And like a lot of cultures around the world, even now today in our history, like names had a lot of significance. Like it was more than just an individual thing. It was like your place in the family. It was like your place in society. It also had like significance in your relationship with God. Like it had spiritual significance. So their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And what they mean, Hananiah, means whom Jehovah has favored. Mishael is who is what God is. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Which is kind of cool when you hear the story of what happened. So chapter three picks up. They've been captured, they've been brought, they've been trained in the ways of Babylon. And as we enter chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar has decided to create like a golden statue essentially he's created this big huge golden thing set it up in this part of like the plain near babylon and he's telling everyone he's made it a rule made a decree that when anytime anyone hears music of any kind you're to fall down go like point in the direction of this like statue and you're to worship it so he's set this as a decree and everyone's doing it 
right? Like it's, it's the rule. It's what we've been told we have to worship. This is what we do. Um, they're worshiping it, except for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They say no, and they don't worship it, and that gets noticed because it's visible, and it's in front of other people, and they get brought to King Nebuchadnezzar, and then in chapter 3, this is what happens. So they get brought, they get brought to Nebuchadnezzar, which this guy is like, very emotional human being, this king, like very extremes of uh, his feelings. So they say that they get brought to him. We heard, you know, he was furious with rage. He questions them. Is this true? Like you're not serving, you're not serving my gods or worshiping what I've told you to worship. Like I'm commanding you. Essentially he tells them like, if you will fall down to worship good, but if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Right. And this is their response to him in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we, were if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the image of gold you have set up. So there's a couple of things that jumped out to me that I want to share with you that just were really noticeable and striking. Um, and I would encourage you, like, read this for yourself. Think think over it. Like, see what else God might say to you this week in this passage. But maybe as I share some of what jumped out to me, there'll be something that is applicable for you and something that you hear as well. Because the, one of the things that I noticed as I was reading this chapter in the story, which I was honestly surprised by, because I grew up hearing the story, right? Like, I knew the story of the fiery furnace. I feel like you'd say it's, you could say it's a story about, like, trusting God, or it's a story about, like, how he will rescue us, or persevering, all of that things. But what I realized is I was reading this, is, like, the, the heart of this story is really about worship. Right? Like, the, the story is really about, like, what do we worship? What does it look like when we worship? And as I was looking at this, I kind of was struck by the fact that, so, yeah, these, these three Hebrew men, they very courageously and boldly said this is who we worship and we're going to continue worshiping him no matter what you do to us even though we know that may lead to our death like we know that this we know what this may lead to this is this is who we're worshiping they're they're bold they're courageous and yet they're also polite and respectful and kind to the people around them and I was just struck by, like, the tension in that. Like, there's tension in what we worship anyway, right? Like, there, there's tension between the fact that, like, they're not, they're being really countercultural. They're not worshiping what they're being told is what you need to worship and what everyone around you is worshiping. They're choosing something different. But there's also that tension in going against what someone's telling you to do and yet being kind. They, they call him by his title, and his name, like if you read their response to him, it is bold and it's courageous and it's confident, but it's also respectful. Like they, they use his title. They say your majesty. They're not arguing with him. They're saying like, we don't, we don't actually need to defend ourselves. Like I was so struck by that. And I was just thinking and realizing like, I want that kind of posture for me in my life, for us, that when we are clear about who we worship and why we worship him, it's not done in like superiority or condescension, or arguing, but it's just, like, clear and calm and still kind 
to people. And so I just was really struck by that and thought that that was really interesting to share. Um, but the other thing that really was jumping out to me, just that, that tension of choosing to go against what everybody else around you is worshiping. And I think there's this thing that we can feel, um, it's like this idea around us right now about like, we just progress as human beings the more time passes. And I just don't think that that's true. Like, I just think that we still struggle with some of the exact same things right now today that this culture and these people were struggling with and have some of the exact same things in our heart. Um, so I think we can read this and be like, we don't worship golden statues anymore. Like we don't fall down and just worship what we're told to worship. And yet there's still things in us that we can do that, that we get pulled towards doing that. And I'll just give an example in my life personally of a time um, when I kind of experienced like, wow, the tension and, and the, the struggle and the wrestling of like wanting to, to, to choose to worship something different than what I was being told to worship. And for me, that example was a lot was around money and around like spending habits. And I tend to make people uncomfortable when I talk about it because I've realized that money is like one of the most personal things to talk about and real tied up in things like how we worship and our heart and stuff, right? Because worship, it's not like just the songs that we're singing. It's like what you show love and value and adoration towards. And so I realized a couple years ago that I had like not been, a few years ago now, that I had not really been wise with finances. And that I was like, I had spending habits that weren't good, that weren't healthy. And it wasn't just about like money and being secure in money. It was also about like, what are my heart motivations and why I spend or why I go shopping and things like that. And so there was this growing conviction in me in that time, as I was like looking at finance and taking a bigger look at that in my life to stop shopping at places like TJ Maxx and Target. And as I was like, for me personally, just feeling that conviction and realizing like, I, I don't think I have healthy spending habits in these places. It literally got to the point that when I went, I remember this distinctly, I went into a Target one time and I walked into that space and I looked around me and I was like, this feels like a place of worship, except it's not God that's worshiped here. And I realized I didn't, I like stepped away from that. And, and I, the more I was like open and sharing with people as I was processing this, I was surprised that there was a lot of like, we don't like you telling us that <laughs> from people. It felt like you can share Bible verses all the time, but do not tell me that I can't shop at Target. Like that's just like crossing a line or something for people. But I realized like, and for you, maybe it's not an issue of worship. For you, it might not be. In my life in that moment, I realized like this really is something that I need to just not say, like go along with the fact that like I'm being told, yeah, worship this consume this, do this, but that I can actually gracefully and kindly towards others still say, no, like I'm not going to do that. And there's a tension there and there's a hardness in that. And I, I would encourage, like, there's something that all of us have that we can examine about what is that tension that we've been like, maybe encouraged to worship um, something that we don't have to be worshiping. So the other thing, last thing I'll say that jumped out for me as I was reading through um, chapter three there was just like kind of what I started on was the names thing and I think that's where I kind of would come back to like especially as we're going to be leaning in um, over this month this idea of community I think there's something really significant about 
without calling people by their name and knowing their names. And there's layers and layers in that, right? Like it's one thing to know someone's name, but then as you start hearing the stories of like, why were you given that name? What does that name mean? What does that mean for your family? What's the history behind that name? It's just a part of how we can be countercultural and choosing to worship God and yet still being respectful towards others and kind towards others. And so the, the like calling people by their name and knowing their name and the history behind it really jumped out to me as like a practical thing that we can do in our interactions with each other and the way that they used his name. It just felt like that's a great way to honor and respect people while also being open and, and, and honest about what we actually worship. So the name thing really jumped out to me. So yeah, I, I hope that this is something that you can apply, that this is something that you resonate with, um, but I really would encourage like read that chapter this week or watch the Veggie Tales movie if you have kids <laughs> to bring it home for you and your family um, and just kind of hear what God might be saying to you through that um, and in that lesson that he has for us and what we worship um, and how we can be kind and respectful to people in that. So that, that really is my hope um, that all of us as a creative minority would be worshiping God in a way that it really invites people to come be a part of that, that it's not like condescending or off-putting in any way, but that it's respectful and kind and clear about who we worship and why, and as a community that we actually invite people to like come be a part of that too. So I'm going to pray for you guys, and that's all I will have for this evening. Lord, I, um, I just thank you so much for each and every person who is gathered here. Um, you not only know them by name, but have given them a name and call them your own. Um, and God, I just pray that as we together are knit together in community, um, in a creative minority, um, Lord, that we would continue to lean in together into what that means. Um, I pray that you would continue to give us courage um, and clarity about who you are what it means to worship you, um, and to do that in a way that invites other people in. God, I just pray um, over these families and individuals um, as we go out this week, and what you would be speaking to us, what you continue to have um, in our hearts and in our minds as we go from here, and I pray that we continue to learn from you. We just thank you for this time and for the space, and mostly for who you are, and that we get the honor and the privilege of worshiping you and knowing you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you.